Abby. And I'm Jenna. And this is a new season of Farming the Future, a Purdue Ag Week podcast. On this week's episode, we are discussing aquaponics with Dr. Paul Brown. Dr. Brown is a forestry and natural resources professor here at Purdue University and has been working in aquaculture for over 30 years. Hi, Dr. Brown. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Um, my name is Paul Brown. I'm a professor in the Department of Forestry and Natural Resources. I'm a professor of fisheries and aquatic sciences, and my area of work is in aquaculture and aquaponics. Um, been here for a long time. Uh, plan on staying here a long time. Um, more recently, we've expanded our research program into aquaponics, which is the integrated food production system incorporating both aquaculture as well as then hydroponics. So it's uh, two separate primary subsystems, uh, produces uh, more food uh, on less land using less water than any other food production system we have. Very cool. And, and so then can you maybe... A, and I was going to say, it's, it's, it's growing rapidly too. It's increasing yes. productivity. And so I, I was wondering if you could maybe go into more about like what you do with aquaculture and these aquaponics, mm -hmm. like maybe like what specifically you're kind of researching. Well, um, we've uh, recently it's been divided between uh, two major uh, thrusts. One, freshwater aquaponics, and the second on saltwater aquaponics or marine aquaponics. Um, in the, in uh, the freshwater aquaponics, we've been um, exploring several things. Um, one has been the uh, life cycle assessment associated with aquaponics. Um, that tells us then quantitatively how much uh, environmental impact we're having, uh, for example, compared to other types of activities. I've uh, been doing that with a colleague in food science, Dr. Jenny Huang. In the marine aquaponics uh, series of projects, we've been simply exploring the possibility uh, yeah. of marine aquaponics uh, species combinations. In our case, we are working with marine shrimp and multiple species of plants. Uh, when we first started this, we thought the salt-tolerant plants were fairly limited, uh, there weren't very many of them. Uh, so we've been working for, gosh, probably four years now, try, off and on trying to develop a comprehensive list of salt-tolerant plants. And it turns out it's a lot more than any of us thought. Uh, there are a lot of potential crops in a marine aquaponics uh, system. That's really cool. So with, yeah, so with marine shrimp, one of the challenges with aquaponics in a freshwater environment is that the fish take a long time to get to a market weight. Whereas the plant crops cycle every 15 to 30 to 45 days, depending on the species of plant you're growing. With uh, the marine shrimp, uh, we can get a harvestable size shrimp within uh, as quickly as uh, 90 days. So all of a sudden, the, uh, the amount of high quality food coming out of an aquaponic system uh, changes dramatically. It increases. Uh, it changes in the economics. Uh, producers are selling more product, things like that. So there's there's so many interesting potential um, uh, species combinations that can be pursued. It's kind of mind boggling. <laughs> we have we have friends working on uh, floriculture, uh, producing cut flowers. Uh, 
Wow. Uh, highly, highly valuable crops. Uh, some groups out of Israel are working on uh, saffron, growing crocuses. Uh, there are groups growing um, uh, all kinds of interesting mushrooms. Um, and then here in the U.S., we have a vibrant uh, cannabis industry. And the cannabis producers uh, prefer aquaponics. Huh. Uh, they say they get a better quality product. Um, so that's, uh, of course, a very valuable product. Is this uh, mostly just specialty crops right now? Or do you see um, this kind of expanding into like all kinds of crops? Well, the kind of the standard freshwater combination are tilapia and leafy greens. So I, I, when, it, when, you, when you say the term specialty crops, I know some of my friends and colleagues and actually the, uh, my colleague who teaches aquaponics with me at Purdue, um, he has uh, ongoing specialty crop uh, grants from USDA. I don't know the definition of a specialty crop. Um, I mean, is that anything other than cor corn, soybeans, wheat, canola, things like that? Is that a specialty crop? Yep. Is that the, yeah. Then yes, I, I don't, I don't think any of us see commodity crops being grown um, very much, at least in an aquaponics type of setting. It's going to be specialty crops. That's, that's a good term. Um, those products that, uh, for which a market is there for a fresh produced product freshly gotcha. produced product. And that's one of, there's several things that have come together here all at the same time. One of which is this idea of feeding the 10 billion people by 2050 and things like mm -hmm. that, that big overarching idea we have. Um, and it's, uh, this is a rather severe issue in front of us. And, you know, every year it's a little closer to 2050. <laughs> um, and, and the number of people keep going up. So how do we do this? Um, some of our friends and colleagues over in ag economics have said that our current food production systems are unsustainable. Um, and when they do, they're talking about commodity production of, of plants and, and animals. I, I, I'm still absolutely amazed at the entire agricultural complex. My gosh, they produce, we, we on this planet produce so much food. Um, it's absolutely amazing that we can produce all this food that we, that we currently have. Um, but can it double in, in productivity in the next 30 years? You know, that's that's a, that's a real question. Or do we need some additional types of food production systems for perhaps some of these specialty crops? So in, in no way is this going to displace current food production systems. This is not, that's not what this is about. And hydroponics falls under the same kind of general philosophies. It's in addition to, yeah. you know, instead of us, um, importing vegetables and fruits um, from other countries uh, and they, they're ripening during transit or adding cost or adding uh, CO2 through to transportation and things like that. Um, why can't we just produce those locally? Well, there's some limitations. So we, we are into this area we call uh, controlled environment agriculture. Um, and then those can be placed in every major city um, anywhere in the world. A uh, very active group up in Chicago called Windy City Harvest that we've started working with. That's the uh, hydroponics and aquaponics um, producer. Uh, so it's actually a department of the Chicago Botanic Garden. Um, so these are really good group. And then on the other side, you've got you've got consumer trends changing right now. You've got consumer trends uh, looking for fresh foods, um, healthy foods, locally produced foods. 
uh, lower environmental impacts, lower pesticide, herbicide usages, and things like that. So the controlled environment approach, whether it's, again, hydroponics or aquaponics, that fits that consumer demand very well. Mm -hmm. And so does the, like the fish that are also used in aquaponics, are those, does that help offset some of the, you know, because people are concerned about overfishing and stuff like that. Does that help offset that as well? Absolutely, yes. Um, we've got, we in this country, I've been working in aquaculture for over 30 years. And the the justifications and the opportunities for raising fish and aquatic invertebrates too, shrimp as well, in this country are profound. They really are. Um, they're very strong justifications. And yet we are not seeing aquaculture grow in this country. We're not seeing increases in production. And it's something that we can't really explain uh, because these opportunities are quite real. Uh, we are seeing aquaculture grow in many, many other parts of the world. And then what happens is we are importing those seafood products. We seem to be happy in this country importing our foods instead of growing them locally. But again, the consumer uh, trends may change some of that here in the in the future, perhaps the near future even. So yes, we are we've seen a tremendous increase in aquaculture in the last thirty years, um, such that aquaculture now produces over fifty percent of the global seafood supply. Wow. Um, yeah, and we're still harvesting fish from the world's oceans, but those are usually fairly well regulated. Um, even by uh, countries that don't have strong environmental policies in place. Um, and they certainly are um, here off in, within the um, uh, U.S. fishing waters. Um, so we're, we are, and, and then uh, imports of fishes need to meet certain criteria, um, such as uh, healthy populations, maintaining uh, population levels such that they can replenish themselves and things like that. So yes, aquaculture is uh, indeed uh, serving as a new source of, of seafood. We just got a large grant funded. It hasn't been announced yet, um, but the folks in Ag, AgCom are um, putting together all the stuff, all the announcements and interviews and stuff have been taking place last week. Um, and it's called When Blue is Green. Um, and it's a focus on even improving even further the aquaponic systems. Um, to make them a zero environmental uh, impact, uh, zero discharge. They're very low, have a very low environmental impact now, um, but we think we can take it down even further. Um, and with a large group of people, it's a large five-year project, so it's going to be a lot of fun to work on. Oh, yeah, that's really cool because, you know, it does such a good job at kind of combining, like, you get two in one, you know, so... Yeah. And then there, then you've got the other argument that, that uh, nobody does a very good job actually using. And that's the marketing opportunity with associated with the quality of foods that come out of an aquaponic system. Um, these are fresh fruits and vegetables. This is fresh seafood. You know, if you dial up, uh, you talk to a human nutritionist, they're going to say that's a pretty good quality food for human human uh, humans. Uh, we in this country as a society don't tend to eat very well. Um, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Um, and yet, uh, you know, these types of trends are indeed sitting back there waiting to be taken advantage of. I've always been surprised that our aquaculture producers don't really uh, don't really make a strong argument for the healthy healthiness of their products. Um, but they, they don't. 
I can't, it's another one I can't really explain very well. So I guess looking at your future, your project coming up here soon um, and the research you're going to be doing there, what else do you see with the future of um, aquaponics and what that looks like in the coming years? Um, maybe some further research areas they'll look to um, start reaching into. Oh my gosh. It, it, it's uh, it, it, <laughs> the number of area or needs areas are it, it, it I, I my mind just starts spinning when I when you ask me that question sorry um the number of needs is is tremendous um there's been actually very little research in aquaponics production systems um again I, I wish I had just an unlimited source of funds just to simply evaluate species combinations um, because we we actually the system has not been optimized at all. Um, again, the standard system is a tilapia leafy green system. Well, we have a thermal mismatch right off the bat with the standard system. Tilapia is a warm water fish, and, and leafy greens are a cool weather crop. So we're not we don't optimize growth of either one. We try to kind of hit the middle. Um, yeah, you know, and then there are people growing salmon. Uh, one of the very largest aquaponics farms in the U.S. is Superior Fresh in up in Wisconsin. They're growing salmon in leafy greens. Well, salmon is a distinctly cold water fish, so the water is actually colder than the, the leafy greens like. So again, they're having to hit some kind of medium, happy medium. Um, I'm a nutritionist by training. I, I would really like to quantify the nutrient flows through those subsystems. Um, because in these systems, we have to grow a certain suite of bacteria, uh, very common bacteria. Um, they outcompete pathogens. Um, they're, they're innocuous um, to humans. It, it's uh, just to simply maintain water quality. And, the, and the, the fish, the bacteria, and the plants all need slightly different nutrients uh, for their optimum growth. And the nutrient categories that the three need that are different are all minerals. Um, so it's largely calcium, iron, and potassium that tend to be the problem children. Uh, we have some standard uh, nutrient deficiencies that turn up in plants. We know we can fix that by changing the uh, fish diet, but there are very few feed mills right now who want to make a dedicated aquaponics diet because the market's not as big as their aquaculture markets. So again, it's some, some some growing pains here early on right now, um, but there's just there's just so much work that can be done. Um, our, our research is 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 looking at adding two additional subsystems to the basic tilapia leafy green system. The first would be uh, an algae culture uh, component, um, and then if the we we're working with a colleague out of Ag and Biological Engineering, uh, who's done a lot of work with algae. And if we, if we can successfully grow algae and the plants, then the algae are a good source for specialty chemicals, and we can feed that algae back to the fish um, and diminish then the, uh, the feed, the, the pelleted feed inputs that we have to buy. Um, we can also, we think, um, put a lot more fish in the system. So we're looking at changing the, the basic ratios of fish to plants significantly in this project. So we think we can grow a lot more fish with those two plant crops. Then the second phase is looking at an anaerobic digester within that system, because when you talk about controlled environment agriculture, you're indoors. And while you've got all kinds of great and wonderful things, more food, less land, less water, 
you've got a very high energy bill. So one of the things we can do is have an anaerobic digester. And we've got a very good colleague again in ABE um, who does a lot of work with um, uh, anaerobic digesters on dairy farms. Um, so we're going to scale it down just a little bit for our experimental systems and evaluate that as a means of uh, putting more nutrients in solution. It's one of the benefits of an anaerobic digester for the plants, um, but also to produce methane and defray some of that. And to do that, then we're putting more nutrients in solution for the plants, then we should be able to increase then the plant production. So we've got two fundamental hypotheses we're pursuing, and it will lead to an increase in production of both the fish and the plants. Um, and we'll change the, the established ratios for these systems. And these established ratios are most of the experts, and I, I, I mean real experts, people who've been working in, in aquaponics for a long time, um, they don't feel like the currently established ratios are anywhere near where we're going to wind up. Um, it simply have not been optimized. Uh, this work was done a long time ago in unreplicated systems uh, um, in an outdoor situation in the Virgin Islands. Um, great research place, you know, <laughs> um, a couple of these guys that are the people I'm calling experts were involved in that research and they're saying, you know, Hey, we were just putting fish in and plants in and, you know, we came up with this ratio and everybody says it's, uh, it's written in stone now. Uh, it has not been optimized at all or maximized. So we're, we're after some more quantitative types of evaluations. Then the final stage, of course, will be putting them both of them together to see see how it all works. Um, yeah, it's kind. Of, I was just saying, it's kind of cool to see like different disciplines of agriculture kind of coming together to solve these issues. Um, you know, because you hear aquaponics, you don't think about you know sometimes anaerobic digesters and um, engineering and all that stuff. So it's kind of cool to see. Yes, very. Very much so. When I first heard about it, I'm sitting there thinking one of our biggest problems in aquaculture is maintaining the dissolved oxygen level uh, for the fish because water does not hold much oxygen. Um, so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, how do we strip the oxygen out and have a, an anaerobic digester in there, run the water back to the fish? We got to aerate again. Um, but it turns out some colleagues around the world have been dabbling in this for some time. Uh, one up in Canada in particular has uh, done a fair amount of work on it and it can be done. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely wild. Yeah. Yes. Well, I never ever would have guessed the wide realm of everything that goes into aquaponics. I did not know much before this, but I've got to say that I've got a lot to learn. So I'm glad you gave me a little bit of an introduction to something that I'm definitely interested in learning more about. This is, this is a really cool project because uh, Ginny was able to pull together a, a bacterial specialist out of civil engineering. Um, and we've worked off and on with George for a long time. Um, and you, you get over there with the wastewater treatment guys in civil and they really know these bacteria we're trying to grow, um, which is a big help. And then he's got uh, techno-economic analysis that goes along with each, each phase of these evaluations as well as LCA. So we'll know the uh, technical ability, the economics of it, as well as in the environmental impact and if we're improving the system or not. Well, I think that that is all of the questions that we have for you today, but we truly want to thank you, Dr. Brown, for your time coming on today to talk all about aquaculture. Tune in next Friday for a new episode of Farming the Future hosted by Purdue Ag Week. Mm -hmm.